good suspension. Would you stop it? You'll have plenty of time to destroy it after I get it. Hey, George, I'm buying this car. Shh, what is wrong with you? You never tell them you like the car. You're not sure what you want. You don't even know why you're here. Thank you. You got a good eye there. I see you've noticed the unibody construction. I'm Rick. Are you looking to buy or to lease? A borrow from my friend. Yeah, he'll be by. Why don't we take this boiler out for a shakedown? Anti-lock brakes, automatic climate control. Uh, make a right at this corner, please. An adjustable steering wheel and, oh, Mr. Kramer, you missed the turn. No, no, no idea. Well, that's okay. We'll make this next right and swing around to get back to the dealership. Well, it's a test drive, right? I never drive around here. <laughs> I'm going to recommend this car. I need to see that it'll handle my daily routine. Well, where are we going? Just a little place I like to call Yulsi. Looks like we're going to need some gas. Oh? Well, how much gas do you think is in there right now? Well, it's on E. You know, Rick, oftentimes Jerry, he lends me his car, and I find myself in a situation where the car is almost out of gas. But for a variety of reasons, I don't want to be the one responsible for purchasing costly gasoline. <laughs> so you want to know how far you can drive your friend's car for free? Well, I make it up to him in other ways. Now, there's still some overlap between the needle and the slash below the E. How low are you going to go? Oh, I've been in the slash many times. This is nothing. You'll get used to it. Just put it out of your mind. Is it just the angle I'm looking from? No, sir. We are down there. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, I never felt so alive. <laughs> ah! Oh, man! Oh, you should just go on without me. When that car rolls into that dealership and that tank is bone dry, I want you to be there with me. When everyone says Kramer and that other guy, oh, they went farther to the left of the slash than anyone ever dreamed. Maybe we better get moving. It's good to have you back, Stan. There's the dealer! Ah! We did it! We pulled it off! I can't believe it! Where's the needle? Oh, it broke off, baby! <laughs> oh, Mr. Kramer, I gotta thank you. I, I learned a lot. Things are going to be different for me now. Well, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> I wonder how much longer we could have lasted. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. Good morning, Hope Ames. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, who's been there? Who's uh, run out of gas before? Anybody? All right, I have as well. One time in high school, it was, I had an old car. It was as old as I was. It was like the, the same year as me. Delta 88 Royale. I, the color, I think, was either, it was a mix of brown and purple. Uh, it was awesome. It, it had bench seats. The front and the back were bench seats, so it could fit six people in there. It was a great car, and I just remember once turning a corner, and I didn't have enough gas in the tank. It all sloshed to one side, and I ran out of gas. One time, and one time only, but... I am like Kramer, where it's like, I want to push it as far as I can. Anybody else pushing it? You want to see how far, like, oh, we did this many before. I, I learned from my wife, Marta, that uh, that is not how everybody thinks, uh, and that there are two camps of gas, and, and the idea of gas. There is either, if it gets close to halfway empty, uh, that we need to fill it up, and then there's, let's be the renegade, let's be the rebel, and see how far we can push it. So, I was just curious. I wanted to poll everybody really quick. Who's in the, play it safe, keep it full, want to make sure that we have enough gas at all times, don't want to get stranded, okay? All right, and then how about us rebels? 
push the limits. Look around. Okay, fellow rebels, nice job. Maybe it's caused a little tension, a little friction in our marriage at times. I've learned to change my ways a little bit. Uh, and so hopefully uh, you as well, if, you're in a, if your spouse is not necessarily on the same page as you as being a rebel, uh, that the rebel, you need to abide a little bit. So just a little, little advice there. Today we're going to be talking about that, though. We're going to be talking about this idea of being prepared, about having enough fuel in the tank, about being ready for what's to come. Uh, we have our, when the story that we had this morning, the Bible reading we have, is that is called like that of the ten bridesmaids. Uh, it's a parable that Jesus taught to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Uh, there was just them. They were all together, the disciples, and they asked Jesus a question. They said, tell us about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, uh, through a bunch of different stories and different teachings, different parables, Jesus laid out uh, what, the, what, the, what the kingdom of God is going to look like. When I saw uh, that I was slotted to preach on this one, I was kind of like, thanks, Danny. Uh, don't really, this is not really one that is a really popular story, I don't think. Or it's kind of a thanks for uh, giving me the easy one, I guess, this morning. But as I started to dig into it a little bit more, I was like, oh, yeah, this is actually really cool. Jesus is laying out this parable for us that is kind of, is really setting up and what, giving us a call in our lives, I guess, is really what Jesus is doing. That in this parable, we see uh, this, through this story about these bridesmaids and through this wedding that's going to happen, we get to see a little bit of how we are called to be prepared. Uh, in order to kind of understand this, I kind of was like, okay, I know what weddings are like now, but what were weddings like back in Jesus's time? What were the, how were the, what were the Jewish customs? What happened during these times? So I kind of did a deep dive into uh, what did it look like? Uh, what did weddings look like? Now, if you, please do not quote me on any of this, because who knows if my deep dive was good or not. Uh, did, not did not go to Wikipedia. I don't know if that, if that helps. But if you get up on, if you ever end up on Jeopardy and the question is like, it's a, some Jewish wedding question, don't, maybe don't follow what I say here. Maybe it's right, maybe it's not, we'll see. But follow, me, follow along with me, I guess, a little bit on this story uh, about what it looks like and what Jesus' uh, weddings looked like during Jesus' time. From what I understand, during the time of Jesus, the weddings were not uh, done out of love. It wasn't like how my, with my wife, Marta, when we got married, we loved each other, and so we wanted to spend li life together. It wasn't because of that. It was really about survival, during this time, marriages would happen not for love, but for survival. Now, I'm sure love blossomed as they got to get to know each other, and maybe it didn't. Uh, but they, it was a survival tactic. It was a survival thing. God ordained and said, you should marry uh, if, it, you know, if the right person's there. And so they would get married. And it was kind of a preordained thing. Like, they would, uh, the, their families would kind of uh, set them up, if that makes sense. And so it wasn't necessarily, oh, hey, you look good. We should get married. No, that kind of thing. Instead, it was two families got together and they said, yeah, you can marry my daughter. You can marry my son, whatever it might be. The age of those times, it was, it was the, uh, the grooms usually were about 18 years old. I was, I was half tank of gas at 18 year old. I was not prepared to be married. Uh, and the, the brides were usually like 12, 13, 14 years old when they were uh, married. Again, it was about survival. It was about being able to provide food. It was about being able to get through all the different things through the day, and one, two was better than one. And so 
people would get married. And what was cool about it, though, was it wasn't just like these two people coming together, but it was really, from what I understand, it was two families coming together. It was a merging of families. It was not just a merging of, of two, couple, or two people, but it was a merging of families. They were going to be together as they were, they were united together as families. And so kind of how I understand it to work is that there's all these different things that would happen. But one thing that I thought was really neat was that uh, one reading that I did was that the groom would, the first thing that the groom had to do after it was their wedding was arranged, the groom would then have to build a house, which I understand is more like a room on their own house. And they have to build a house, uh, a space for them and their bride. Um, their spouse. And so they would uh, build this house. They would get it all together. Usually, again, it was like an extension of their parents' house because, again, it's about this community. It's about these families coming together. And once that was done, then they would go and get their bride, and then the party would start. The party was like a five to seven day long event. And it wasn't just family and friends that were there like what we do now, but it was the entire community would come together to celebrate this union, to celebrate this commitment that these two were making. So the bride or the groom would build this house and then would go and usually it was in the evening time they would go to get their bride to bring them to this party, which is where we kind of pick up the story. See, Jesus, uh, the disciples probably are understanding of this. They get what's going on. They understand the context. For us, though, uh, the context is important, right? And so they they go. The the groom is going to get his bride and bring. Them to bring the bride and the bride's party and the family to this, to this big celebration. And so they go to get the party, to get the bride, and it's in the evening time, and we don't have street lights, we don't have any of those things, and so instead we have the power of flame. And the bridesmaids, the ten bridesmaids that we hear about in the story, their goal, what they were supposed to do is they are supposed to be the people that will help light the way to the party. They'll help bring this bride and bridegroom to the celebration, providing the light of it. Now, I don't know. Does anybody have torch experience out there? Anybody? I have held a torch before. Uh, a long time ago when I worked at Riverside Bible Camp, we were shooting a video, and I, for some reason, I volunteered to be like the guy holding this torch for this video, and it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Uh, like we, it was a, a rag dipped in diesel fuel, just lit on fire on a stick, you know, or whatever. And it's me, like young Pete out there trying to hold on to this thing. And like I said, it was for a video. And so what's awesome is, is that I've got a little clip for you. If you'd like to see a young Pete scared out of his mind with a torch. You want to see that one? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Let's see it. Oh, did some diesel run down that? Yeah. Looks like it. You want a glove? Sure. Hi! No, 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 don't hold it like that. <laughs> you all right? Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Like watching it, and you picked up on it right away. Like my, like, do you want a glove? Yeah. Like I was completely uh, out of my league right there. I was so terrified. I like Diesel was just rolling down that stick towards me, you know. And the guy that was laughing was one of my good friends. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Uh, one of my good friends. He was in my wedding. I still one of my best friends now. And all I could do was laugh. So thanks. I appreciate that friendship. Um, did you notice there's like dry grass all around me so I can't let it down? Like I can't just drop it. So like there's moments where I'm like, I don't want to do it this way because 
all the diesel will come down onto my arm. And for sure that costume that I was wearing was not fireproof. I'm sure that thing would have just lit straight up with all the polyester that was in that. And, and so I didn't want to do this because I knew it would all come down on me. I didn't want to do that because I knew I'd light the whole world on fire. And so I just instead ran around with this fireball chasing me the entire time just, and screamed weird screams. And so do you want to watch it one more time? Was it enjoyable enough to watch it? Okay, let's see it one more time. Can we watch it one more time? Oh, did some diesel run down that? Yeah. Looks like it. You want a glove? Sure. I <laughs> drop it, drop it. Go to the, no, 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 don't hold it like that. <laughs> you all right? You all right? Oh, man. So anyway, oh, so scary. Um, but so I think, though, that the, these bridesmaids, they probably had more experience than what I did. I would need us to say it with using a torch uh, and holding a torch. But they were, that's their goal. Like, they were there to help light the way, to help bring the bride and the bridegroom to the wedding feast. Now, normally, they, what, I, what I think is interesting, and there's a few points in the story where I'm kind of like, whoa, Jesus, what's going on here? Like, why— this feels a little harsh, you know? It feels a little harsh here. Uh, and so there's a couple moments where I'm like, oh, wow, this is crazy. That they would, that this is the way that, that Jesus would tell the story. And one of those is that as they were waiting, some, uh, the, the groom finally came, right? But the groom also, like, it took time. It took a while for the groom to get there. And so by the time that they finally, the groom finally came, they looked at how much oil they had left. And it was, it was olive oil. It was, you know, kind of what, what's in here. It was, it was oil. It wasn't like gasoline or anything like that or diesel, thankfully. Uh, but they, they'd be using olive oil. And they realized that they didn't have enough to make the journey from where they were to where they were going. Now, what is interesting is that they came what they thought, they, they thought they came prepared. As you can see here in Matthew 25, 7, it says, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. They came prepared. They thought that they had enough oil. But if you remember in the story that the groom came late. The groom didn't arrive at the time that they thought that the groom was going to arrive. And so they came late. They didn't have enough oil. And so what's interesting to me, where the, where the first point where I'm like, whoa, Jesus, what's going on here? Is that they asked, hey, can we have some of your oil? You've got plenty. Can we have some of your oil? And the other five who were prepared said, no, you can't have any. Now, I've got a six-year-old at my household. And so for the last couple of years, my wife and I have been working on sharing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. Share with your neighbors, or your friends. Share with your schoolmates. Share with us. We share with you. Like, we've, we've been working on that. But they're not living that out here, are they? They're not sharing. But what's interesting is, is that I think that the reason they didn't share was not because they didn't want to, they didn't care for the other people or they didn't want to, to share, uh, they wanted it all for themselves, but really what they were trying to do was, they said, it's going to be better for five of us to be able to light the pathway all the way to the party than just for all of us to have, to, to separate the oil out and none of us be able to make it to the party. I think is what they were trying to say that the light's going to run out before they get to this party if we all share. Go buy some more oil. Now, who knows who's selling oil at midnight, but they go off to try to find some oil at midnight, and then the, par and the party continues on. And, and here's the other point where I'm like, whoa, Jesus, what's going on with this story? Why are you saying it like this? Because the, finally, the other five who were unprepared, the other five bridesmaids, they got their oil, they go to the party, and they find out that the door has been shut. 
And it says from the inside, I do not know you. I don't know you. I started thinking about that because I feel like that's not, that seems cruel, doesn't it? Like it feels like, uh, I do not know you. I don't know who you are. You can't come in. That doesn't feel like what Jesus was trying to teach in his ministry. Until I started to think a little bit more, and I did some reading about it, and one person that I read said they kind of hearkened it to Noah's Ark. The story of Noah's Ark. And the, so the story of Noah's Ark happens in Genesis, and it's God it sees that the world is full of sin, wants to fix that, wants to see, like, okay, cool, what if we just flood the entire world and start anew? So God goes to Noah and he says, Noah, I want you to build an ark, a big boat. And Noah's like, oh, I'm in the middle of the desert. I don't know what you're looking for here, but uh, I'm gonna, I want to start anew. So what does Noah do? Noah does it. Noah builds this boat in the middle of the desert and, and only because God told him to. So Noah's is building his boat and doesn't know when the time is going to come that it needs to be prepared, but knows that he needs to have it finished. So Noah builds this boat and eventually the animals come and they all get on as the story goes, right? And then Noah and his family gets on and the rains are coming. And could you imagine like your friends, your family, whoever it might be, want to get on that boat as well? And Noah has to shut the door on them because there's just not space get on that boat. And what's interesting to me is that when you read it in Genesis 7, 16, it says, the Lord closed the door behind them. That it wasn't Noah that closed the door, but it was the Lord that closed the door behind them when they got on the boat. God took that pain of saying, no, you cannot come. The Lord closed the door. Very similar to like as, as uh, in the story where it sounds like the Lord closes the door to this wedding feast as well, right? Jesus, who is, the, who is the groom, says, I do not know you. The door is shut. The Lord closed the door there as well. Uh, and so there's, I, I think that's kind of interesting, this relationship that is there between uh, this idea of the Noah's Ark, the story of Noah's Ark, and then the parable that Jesus tells. That it's about preparation, isn't it? It's about being ready. It's about being prepared. And here's the truth. And we talked about this last week. Uh, Danny talked about it and he said, you know, like we, we talked about Jesus' death and resurrection and that we all will live forever. Over and over again at the end of Danny's sermon last week at Easter, he kept saying and reminding us, you will live forever. And Jesus promises us that. He also promises that he is going to come back. Jesus is coming back. And the question that I have for you this morning is, are you prepared are you one of the five uh, of the bridesmaids who has enough oil for this to happen? Or are you of the other five where it's like, oh yeah, maybe it's going to happen or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I have enough. So this morning what I want to talk about is that preparation. Being prepared, being ready. What I kind of look at is like spiritual oil is what we're going to kind of talk about. Spiritual oil. This idea that we um, have these different things that happen in our lives that we can kind of uh, do and, and grow our relationship with God, grow our relationship with each other, grow our, our relationship with this community, community where we live, where we work, the spiritual oil that we can kind of build up and, and, and not for our own glory, but for God's. 
So for instance, uh, some ideas of spiritual oil like prayer and uh, getting into God's word, studying it, small groups, coming to church on Sunday. Good job, everybody. You're, you're, you're doing that, right? Um, getting plugged in, volunteering uh, at, here at Hope or volunteering in our community, bringing God's kingdom here and now. Some of us maybe are doing that and some of us in the room are maybe are like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. And that's okay. Both spectrums is okay. But my hope is, is that today that we can kind of dig in a little bit about and thinking a little bit more about what this oil is and what that means in our lives and what this means for God's kingdom coming here and now. If you were going to say, I, you wake up one morning and you're like, I declare today I'm going to run a marathon. You're not going to run a marathon that day, right? There, well, most of us won't. I could not do that. Uh, most of us could not do that. Maybe some of us could step out there and just, just crank out a marathon. Or if you think to yourself, uh, today I'm going to learn how to play the piano or the guitar or the drums or the trumpet or whatever it might be. Some of us maybe have those abilities where it's like, it's just pretty fast. We can a quick study on those or music makes sense. But a lot of us, it takes time. It takes small steps to kind of get us to those points. And it's the same for us with spiritual oil, building up these things in our lives, these ways that, it, these spiritual practices that we have in our lives that are put in front of us, building those up so that we can build up our oil supplies. What I, like on the screen here, what it says, start small and prepare to be amazed at what God will do. These small steps. Uh, if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to start running a couple miles a day and then you're going to increase and increase and increase until you have your stamina, until you've run that distance so that when you're ready for that day, you are ready to run 26.2 miles. These small steps add up to a lot of big things. So for you, it might be, hey, I want to get into the word a little bit more. I'm feeling God saying, oh, this morning, God laying on my heart that I need to just dig in the word a little bit more. Five minutes a day at breakfast. Get out the Bible, do a study, study one piece of scripture for five minutes. Maybe it's prayer. Did you know you could pray with your eyes open? You could pray as you're driving to work. Maybe there's these small moments, these small times where you are able to do these things to help build up this spiritual oil. And now why do we want this spiritual oil? What's the point? Why do we want to build these things up in our lives so that we uh, can help bring God's kingdom here? The reason that we have all these different things that we do is to build this relationship with God so that then we can do exactly what Jesus said, which is bringing God's kingdom here. What is God's kingdom? I, I brought a little example for us here to kind of talk about God's kingdom. God's kingdom uh, starts with Genesis, actually, is where it starts. So God's kingdom starts with Genesis. And God, in the beginning of Genesis, Genesis, God creates the, everything. God has creation, right? In creation, we get to see God's kingdom God creates the heaven and the earth, the land and the sea, the animals, the fish, the plants, humans. God creates everything. And then, as you can see on Gen in Genesis 1.31, God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was, how about all together? It was very good. And evening passed and morning came, making the sixth day. God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that was on it and in it and looked at it and he said, that was very good. I am very proud of this. This is God's kingdom. Similar, I'm going to use this. This is a very poor example of, of something that, like, of God's kingdom, I guess. But uh, this is a vase, right? And whoever designed this vase, this is what they wanted it to look like. 
kind of, you know, it kind of comes in, it flares in, or flares out on the out, it comes in in the middle a little bit. It doesn't leak. You put flowers in it, it doesn't tip over. It's designed very good. Just how they wanted it to be designed, just how the creator wanted it to be made, this vase was created. But then, just like in creation, uh, we have a, in the creation story, something happens, and sin enters the world. Adam and Eve eat from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin enters this world. And then all of a sudden, God's creation, the way it was supposed to be, it was no longer created how God wanted it to be. Instead, it was broken and, and smashed. Ooh, that's a hard one to break. There we go. And smashed. Sin came in and broke it all apart into bits and pieces, death, pain, hurt, wars. God's creation was no longer how it was meant to be. It was broken. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone. For everyone sins. We all sin. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We experience pain in our lives. We experience brokenness. We experience war, hatred. This is not how God intended it to be. God's creation is no longer how he wanted it. But there's hope. Because God says there's hope. And God said, as you keep reading through the Old Testament, you can kind of see this hope being laid out. God has a chosen people, the Israelites. And, he, and, he, and God says, you are my chosen people. Through you, redemption will happen. God says that brokenness, that pain, the destruction that happens through wars and battles, sickness, death, all those things are going to go away. He gives us, God gives this promise to his people, the Israelites, saying that a Messiah is going to come. He gives a law saying, follow these Ten Commandments, follow these other laws that I have that show that you are a separate people, that you are a people, a group of people that are living for me. That all these broken pieces, even though they're broken and shattered and don't serve the purpose that you want, there is going to be something, somebody that comes that's going to fix it, a Messiah. So that's what we celebrated last week, right? The, the fact that Jesus came and died for our sins. So we move on to the next one where we have the Messiah that comes and restores the entire thing. All of a sudden, Jesus comes and fixes it all. Restoring creation to how God wanted it to be. You see, Jesus, throughout all of his ministry, even at the start here in this verse in Luke, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages. Soon after he started his ministry, preaching and announcing the good news about the what? The kingdom of God, right? Jesus restored through his death and resurrection, Jesus restored what God intended this world to look like. He restored us. We are a new creation, holy and pleasing to God. We have died to ourselves so that God's glory will be revealed. But it doesn't stop there. 
Because Jesus, although uh, Jesus preaches about God's kingdom and he talks about how God's kingdom is going to come, like in the Lord's Prayer, when we have, Jesus taught us how to pray the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that we pray before communion and other special events uh, in our lives. He said, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Thy will be on earth as it is in heaven, right? That it's not this thing that's in the future, but it's a thing that's coming right here and right now. God's kingdom is here right with us right now. We get to see glimpses of it, of it put together, of it, how God wants it to be. Now, there is still war. There's still death. There's still sickness. There's still pain. There's still hurt. But we know that Jesus restores. We know that Jesus restores. And there's one more step because Jesus promises one more thing to us as well. Jesus promises that he's going to come again. And that's what we see in the story of the ten bridesmaids, that, uh, that Jesus is going to come back. It's not just this one time that he's going to be here and that the kingdom is going to be full, fully restored, but Jesus is going to come again and bringing a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is going to come again with a full restoration, making it exactly. Now, it kind of falls apart because this is really oily and gross. But uh, if it was, you know, a new kingdom, right? Exactly how God wanted it to be. How God created it. Jesus is coming back. Bringing this new heaven and new earth. But it, we don't have to wait to experience this new heaven and new earth and, until Jesus comes back. No. We don't have to wait for that because Jesus gives us a decree, something that we are called to do as followers of Christ. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, after he uh, resurrected from the dead and hung out with his disciples for a while, before Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus told his disciples and us as well that we will be his witnesses. In Acts 1.8, he says to the disciples, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Thy kingdom come. We are a part of that. We get to be a part of God's kingdom coming here and now. In order to be a part of that, in order to do those things, we need to be filled up with that spiritual oil, right? We need to be doing these practices and, and, and encountering God in all these different ways so that we then are able to reflect that out to the people we encounter. So today I want to leave you with one last thought, one last question, uh, and that is this. Imagine if yourself, like, that you are the only person that at work or in your household or in your neighborhood or whatever it might be, you're the only person that understands this, that, that chooses to live out this life for Jesus. That you're the only person that believes that Jesus uh, died on the cross for our sins, that this good news is that Jesus came for our sins and to, to forgive our sins and to, to forgive us to restore us, to restore this world, to restore God's kingdom. What if you're the only one that believed that? When other people looked at you, what would they see? Would they see more of the brokenness? More of the pain? More of the hurt? Or would they see God's kingdom restored? Would they see the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Some of you might say, oh yeah, they, they're going to see brokenness because I'm a broken person and we all are. 
we are still being restored, aren't we? And some of you are going to say, oh no, I, I'm living out Jesus' message right here. And some of us are in the middle, right? But the goal is, and my hope is, is that as we continue to connect with each other, to connect with God, and to serve in our community, serve in our church, get into Bible studies, get into small groups, study the word ourselves, pray, that more and more we feel God's kingdom coming. And that more and more, not just us feel God's kingdom coming, but the people that we're around feels God's kingdom coming to them. So Hope Ames, here's my question. And, and this is what I'm so excited. It's almost been a year since I've been here with Hope Ames. And I, I, uh, when we moved back to Iowa, we moved to Ames and we lived in Ames and I commuted down to Hope Ankeny. And, but I really love Ames and this area and, and Story County. And how can we impact our community? How can we live out this kingdom, bringing the kingdom here? Not stare at our own navels here as a church, but how can we look out into our world, into our community, into our county, and be the love of Christ for them. May you experience that love. May you experience that fulfillment, that the restoration, and may you live it out this week, this year, until Jesus comes back. Please join me in prayer. God, we praise you this morning. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the ways that you live uh, through us. God, show us ways that we can provide uh, just more and more of your kingdom to those that we encounter daily. God, more and more of your good news, more and more of who you are. Because God, we are nothing without you. God, we thank you for the fact that you do not give up on us. That even as we struggle through hurts and pains and brokenness, God, that we know that you are moving and mighty. God, we thank you for this church and the ways that we impact our community and impact our world. Over a million dollars for the Ukraine effort. God, it's so awesome to see how, how we can show up and bring your kingdom here. God, give us more opportunities, more chances to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. Restore us, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.